If you have a copy of God's Word with you this evening, turn to Habakkuk. I know that every single one of you spent the last two weeks in your devotion time in Habakkuk, so you know exactly where it is. But possibly for Brother Tim Klein, who has not been there in a while, go to Matthew, take a left about five books, and you come to Habakkuk. Okay? Um, Habakkuk. Not much is known about Habakkuk outside of these three chapters. And um, he wrote about 600 years before Christ, before Christ's birth. And um, we're going to look at the mountain peaks of the three chapters. We're not going to look at all of the verses in the three chapters. But I want you to see the dialogue that is going on between this prophet and God. But before we get there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard a question asked and before the answer was given you thought, man, that was a, that was a, that was a good question. I see where that gentleman or where that lady is coming from as they are asking this. Maybe it's a, it's a tough question. Maybe it's a, it's a question of that has just got multiple layers in it, and you can just see the passion in the question. And then the answer is given, and it just floors you because you thought that the answer would go along somewhat with the question, but, oh, it just took it to another level. One of those moments happened to me while I was sitting right beside your pastor a year ago at the Southern Baptist Convention. Pastor Wade and I were in St. Louis, and um, Dr. Russell Moore was standing up having questions asked about the ERLC, and a gentleman, a messenger from the great state of Arkansas, asked a question. And let me see if I can ask it. I won't ask it in the same way he asked it. You can YouTube it right now or later and you can see the whole thing. But this is, let me ask, ask the question. I'll give you Dr. Moore's answer. How in the world, here's the question, how in the world can someone in the SBC, can you defend the rights for Muslims to construct mosques in the USA? When these people threaten our very way of existence as Christians and as Americans, they are murdering Christians, they're beheading Christians, they're imprisoning Christians all over the world. Do you actually believe that if Jesus Christ were here today, he would support this and that he, Christ, would stand up and say, well, let us protect the rights of those Baal worshipers who erect temples to Baal. Do you believe that, Dr. Moore? End quote. Now, let me just tell you the setting. And you can see it if, if you go YouTube it. But we were in the room, Pastor Wade and I and 8,000 others were in the room, and when that question was asked before the answer was given, there was a, oh, there, there's an interesting question. And here's Dr. Moore's. Response. 
stunning response, might I add. Sometimes, I quote, all of this is a quote, sometimes we have questions that are hard and we have to think about them. This is not one of those questions. Soul freedom for everybody, brother and sister, when you have a government that states, quote, we can decide whether or not a house of worship can be constructed based upon the theological beliefs of that house of worship, close quote, then they are going, they're going to be Southern Baptist churches in San Francisco, New York City, all across the nation who are not going to be able to build. The bigger issue is not one of self-interest, but that we have been called to the gospel of Jesus Christ, a government that has the power to outlaw people from assembling together and saying what they believe that does not turn them into Christians. That turns people into pretend Christians and sends them straight to hell. The answer to Islam is not government power, but the gospel of Christ and the new birth that comes from that. Drop mic. I give you that example because that is what is found in Habakkuk chapters 1 and 2. There is this question that Habakkuk raises. And, it, and on the surface, for a brief moment before we hear the answer that God gives, we're like, well, I see your point, Habakkuk. I see your passion cry for this. I understand where you're coming from. And yeah, there is some, some continuity to me. Continuity with me understanding and being with you. And then God speaks and then you're like, I want to be like 10 miles from Habakkuk right now. I don't even want to be in the same zip code as him because now I understand God's point of view on the situation. So let's look at these. There's seven thoughts that I have for us this evening. Hopefully we'll get through those. If not, I'll give you the answers to the last six, and uh, you'll have everything filled in. So uh, let's, let's dive into Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. And I'm going to read bits and pieces. I'm going to read the complaint that Habakkuk brings, both the first and the second, and then we'll see the answer that God gives. But Habakkuk chapter 1 states this, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. O Lord, here's his questions. O Lord, how long? How long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence, they are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The Lord answers him in verses 5 through 11. So let's look at verse 12 down through the end of the chapter. Then we'll come back to God's answer in just a second. Are you not from everlasting? 
Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. The them he is speaking to are the Chaldeans, and we'll see God's response about them in just a second. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot, cannot even look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You, you, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings them all up with, his, with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and he's glad. Therefore, he, and the he is the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly Killing nations forever? Just let me give you one last verse of Habakkuk's complaint. It's verse, chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what he will say to me. He is God, what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. First sentence for us this evening, or the first thought coming from Habakkuk and being one who is searching for justice in unjust times, is this, that the complaint is full of implied points. There are a number of implied points And some of those points are even contrary to God and His nature that Habakkuk brings up. So from the outset, let me just state this. This is a conversation between one man and God. This is not a a neighborhood cul-de-sac getting together and talking about the, the... Days and times of Jerusalem. This is not even a family who is coming together to talk about all the ills of the moment. No, this is one man in his prayer closet speaking to his God. And he is bringing this with passion. And this prayer that he is bringing to his master, his Lord, and his Savior, as we will see it unfold, is one that has gripped his gut so much that he cannot get past. He says, I I just got to bring it to you. There's only a couple of other places in the Scriptures where there is something so gut-wrenching, so strenuous, and so blatant of a complaint raised to God. A couple of them are found in Psalms. Psalm 88 is one of those. Jeremiah has a a few of the places in the Old Testament in his book where it is just, it's just like 
man, right there, if, if God was literally right in front of David or if he was literally right in front of, of the uh, psalmist or of Jeremiah, they would be like spitting on his face and they'd be slapping his face like, can you not see all of this? And that's what's happening with Habakkuk. So here's his complaint. And all of these implied marks. Habakkuk's crying out, For a long time. Verse number 2 states, How long am I going to have to cry out? How long is this going to happen? Let me just ask you a question. How, How long do you pray for something? If you don't get the answer to it in the first time that you pray, how long will you stick with that prayer? A week? Two weeks? Reminded of George Mueller. George Mueller had five friends. Count that. Five friends who did not know Christ. And he took it upon himself that he was going to pray for them every day. And he prayed ten months every day. And finally the first one came to know the Lord. It took another 10 years before number two and three friends came to know the Lord. He's praying for them every day. Every day, praying for them. The fourth, 25 years after he started praying for him, he came to know the Lord. And the fifth one, 52 years, one week after George Mueller died, that friend came to know the Lord. Would you pray for something for 52 years if you didn't see it? Habakkuk's like, how long? Oh, Lord, Lord, how long have I got to cry out to you before you will understand this and you'll act and you'll move? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Do you see the implication there that God's not working at all? I'm looking at destruction, Lord. I'm looking at violence. They're all before me. Strife, contention, they are arising. And this law that you have given, it's paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. And even if it does go forth, it's going forth perverted. That's an easy prayer time, right? Second complaint comes on God's character. And how bold it is there in verse number 12. It really doesn't come across very well in English, but let me give you the gist of it. Verse number 12 states this, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. That is the verse. The first part of that verse is bold when he says, are you not from everlasting? That's how the ESV translates it. It's really like this. Lord, I thought that you were eternal. I I thought that there was no beginning with you, and I thought that there would never be an end with you. I thought you were actually God. Derek Kidner in his 
commentary on Habakkuk stated this. I gave you a portion of the paragraph. He says something about these prayers. He says, these prayers make no more sense than Peter's statement to Jesus, depart from me, O Lord. The the very presence of such prayers in Scripture, uh, Kidner writes, is it's a witness to God's understanding. Did you hear that? The very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how you and I speak when you and I are desperate. And here, Habakkuk is desperate. And he is saying, God, I thought that you were, I thought that you were eternal, that you were everlasting, that there was nobody else like you. But he can't even get through the, the sentence, can he? He can't even get through the question because he calls him, Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. And then he, he remembers statements that God has said that they're not going to die. There is going to be a remnant and that, that He has ordained these Chaldeans for judgment. The complaint is full of implied points. But second, we not only see that the complaint is filled with implied points, the answer that comes back was surprising to say the least. It was surprising. Let me read for you God's answer. The first one that he gives, he says this in chapter 1, verse 5. Remember the complaints. You're not working. Justice can't be going forth. And even if it's going forth, it's perverted. I don't see you at all. Here's God's answer. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days. A work that you would not believe even if I told you about it, verse 6 states. Excuse me, verse 5. Verse 6 states, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadths of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. He goes on and he describes them in verses 7 through 11, and he says, they sweep by like the wind and they go on. They're guilty men whose own might is their God. I'm raising them up and I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to discipline Israel with this unjust, wicked nation. That's not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. Let's just go ahead and agree to that, right? That's not what he was looking for. You ever asked for something and God gave you a different answer than than what you asked for? Taking some of our guys at River Bend through experiencing God this summer. And uh, it's an oldie but a goodie Bible study. And we're going through it. And a couple of weeks ago, Henry Blackaby brought up a, a story and just with that topic, as he was thinking about it, asking God for something and him giving you something that you didn't even ask for. And he gave the illustration of the four men who carried the paralytic and tore open the roof and lowered him down. And they asked, the four men asked that the paralytic would be healed. And Jesus said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, which was a better answer? I mean, what, what was, what was the, a better outcome of the meeting? That the guy could get up and walk? Or that the guy, his sins would be forgiven? That his sins would be forgiven. Now, he got up and walked as well. And that's just a great gift from our great God. But Jesus knew then, and he knows now, what's better for you. What's better for Habakkuk? What's better for the moment and for the prayer request that you are asking? And he won't just give you what you ask for. That would mean you're God or I'm God. He'll give you what's best. Oh, Lord, how long am I going to have to look at iniquity? Lord, you're not working at all. You're idly looking at hand. The answer that God speaks back to Habakkuk and he speaks to you and to me is, you know what, it might not be happening in Hernando at this moment, but why don't you look around the nations? Why don't you see what I'm doing around the nations? Now, that's an interesting statement to Habakkuk in that day. He didn't have CNN, Fox News, Sky News. He didn't have Facebook. He he didn't have anything. How in the world is he going to look 1,500 miles out down the road? Well, he could send out, and then about six weeks later, something could come back. You and I look on the Internet, and we see what's happening in Tokyo right now. We can see what's happening in Uganda, especially when the two groups come back in a couple of weeks to say, hey, here's what's happening. But Habakkuk, why don't you just look at the nations? Because I'm, I'm working. It just might not be in your little town right this second. But he's going to answer even to Habakkuk's town, and he's going to answer to your town and my town before we get through the end of the evening. God's second response is the middle of the book, and it comes in chapter 2 as he gives his answer Chapter 2, verse 2, a verse in this portion of the Scripture is one that is very near and dear, not just to Habakkuk, but to us because of how two men used and understood and their lives were changed by this verse. And the Lord answered me, write this vision It's a command, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens, this vision hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, you wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And here's the verse. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous, the righteous, they shall live by faith. That verse from Habakkuk moved two men. It moved the Apostle Paul as he wrote the people in Galatia. He picked that verse 
and all the issues that were happening to the Galatians and happening with the Galatians and around the Galatians. And he used that verse to say, hey, it's not about all this stuff. You, if you're righteous, you're going to live, and you're going to live by faith. And then some 1,500 years after Paul wrote it, there was a man who was known as the great reformer, Martin Luther, and that verse rocked his soul. And a great reformation came from that verse in Galatians and in turn that verse right here in front of us in Habakkuk. Do you see what God's saying? God answers Habakkuk and he says, I understand you have this complaint, but I'm going to give you a vision, and he does, and I want you to write it down. And I want you to write it down so that if a guy's running, he can understand it and he can see it. It's as if God says to Habakkuk, I want you to write this vision down in such a way that if somebody gets on I-55 and goes from Hernando to South Haven and they see the billboard up there, they, they can understand it. They're going 70 miles an hour and they know exactly what is said. So Make it plain. Write it down. you understand this, that even if you think it's slow, my work is coming, my work is not delaying, and if you think that it's never coming, you just wait. Because it's happening in Uganda. It's happening in Iran, of all places. It's happening in Shimla, India, where Trey and Megan Clooney live. I was there in March. It's happening. His kingdom is expanding every single home that is entered and the gospel is being shared. It's happening in Bangkok, Thailand, where we have sent missionaries. It's happening in the middle of Turkey where we've sent missionaries. It's happening all over and it is coming. Even if we think that it's delaying in Hernando, if we think it's delaying in the States, it's coming. This vision is plain and clear. So just wait for it. The complaint is voiced. We see the answer that is given. And we've got to go back to chapter 2, verse 1, and we've got to see that there's an act of faith that's being exercised. That's the third thought for the evening. I don't know about you, but for me, when there's some cloudiness on the situation, it's not easy for me to have definitive statements like chapter 2, verse 1. It's, you know what, I'll wait and see until the sun is shining and there's no fog this morning before I decide to hit my accelerator. That's not what he said. You see what Habakkuk says? Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, this is Habakkuk talking in the midst of his complaint, in the midst of his not understanding how in the world God could use the crooked Chaldeans to bring discipline on his people, on the Israelites. Habakkuk says this, I'll take my stand at my watch post. I'll take my stand at the station and I'll, I'll station myself on the tower. 
and look out to see what he, what God's going to say to me and what I will answer concerning this complaint. The act of faith was this. Even though I don't understand it, even though I can't comprehend what he is saying, I'm going to go do my job. I'm going to go do it. I got a, I've got a watchtower that I'm supposed to be standing out, and I've got to be looking out, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. I can't understand what's happening right at this moment, but I do understand the last thing that he told me to do, and that's exactly what I'm going to go do. Can we do that? Do we do that? The example in front of us is that you and I should do that. The last clear thing that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God said, you do it. No, I want a new thing. I've got a 13-year-old girl. And she is all about new stuff. New stuff. I mean, it's got to be new, and within five minutes of her, it being old, who cares about that? I want something new. No. no. Are we that way sometimes spiritually? Yeah, I know God wants me to read his word. Yeah, I know he wants me to talk with him. Yeah, I, I know he wants me to talk to my neighbors. I know that he wants me to share the God. Yeah, I know that. When's the last time we read it? Really, without take, making it a grocery list, when's the last time we actually had a conversation with him? When's the last time we did tell somebody about it? Oh, we're meddling. Let's move on. 651. We've got a chapter and a half. The act of faith is exercise. But a fourth thought for the evening is this, that another answer comes rolling through all of creation. Another answer comes rolling through creation when God speaks that second time and he talks in chapter 2, verse 6, down through the end of the chapter. It is a hard chapter. There's a couple of woes there. Woe to this and woe to that. Woe to these people. It is a hard portion of Scripture. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, there are two verses that jump out. Verse number 14 and verse number 20. Verse number 14 and verse number 20. They are two lights, bright lights in the midst of the dark night of chapter 2, verse 6 through the end of the chapter in verse 20. Let me read those two verses. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But the Lord, verse 20 states... The Lord is in His holy temple and let all the earth keep silence before me or before Him. Two bright lights in the midst of the darkness. And in both of those, God says, hey, I'm still God. 
with all the chaos going on, in Habakkuk's day, I'm still God. I'm still God in all the chaos and all the corruption and all the evil and all the all the the nuclear missiles thinking about being launched or not launched, all the the evil that is going on in our world today, God says, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And there is going to be a day, church, there is going to be a day when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That word knowledge is an interesting word. Every time it's used in the Old Testament, the word is not just a knowledge of something, but it is an experience. It is an intimate experience of understanding and experiencing. It is the same word that is stated in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 that Adam knew his wife Eve. That Isaac knew his wife. That Abraham knew his wife. It is that intimate of relationships and we are to know the whole earth is going to know the glory of God. And they're going to know Him as the waters cover the sea. And as of today, a huge iceberg broke off and there's more water in the sea. Let's move on. Fourth one. Uh, we need to read Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. It's right there in front of you. It states this, But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill this promise. As some of us count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing that not any of you should perish but that all would, should reach repentance. You say, Brian, what are you saying with that verse? That one day, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but one day the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord, and it's not slow, as you and I might count slowness, but he's patient. The source of the problem is spoken of. Number five, the source of the problem is spoken of. Chapter three shows us this source. And this source is um, what Adrian Rogers stated as the greatest sin or the number one sin that every single one of us are inclined to. And it is the sin of pride. Habakkuk had pride because he was an Israelite and he thought the Israelites were greater than everybody else and how in the world could God use another nation which was more crooked than they were to bring about discipline and judgment on his people. If you and I had that same thought, how in the world could God use non-Christians, you know, pagans, to bring discipline on his people, his children, sons and daughters of his. How could he do that? He couldn't do that. So we're just going to live however we want to live because we're his. 
chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Don't you just wish their name was John? I do. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you, and I've heard the report of your work, oh, Lord, and I do fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, Lord, please remember mercy. What, a, what an ask. What a request. God, he came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Pared. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays, they flashed from his hand. There he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague. They followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains, they were scattered. Everlasting hills, they sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian, they did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on the chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling your many arrows. You split the earth with rivers, the mountains. They saw you and, and they writhed. They, the, the raging waters, they swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the, you threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. Speaking of the Chaldeans, he knows this is coming. Who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging mighty of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And he closes it this way in verse 17, 18, and 19. And may the members of Longview Point and the members of River Bend, may you and I get to this point. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of oil, even if it fails, and the fields yield no food, the flock to be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments, period. Source of the problem is spoken of by God to Habakkuk and that being that of pride. The solution to the cure of the problem is rejoiced over and that is what we just read from Habakkuk's prayer. In chapter 13, excuse me, in chapter 3, down through verse 16. And then finally, the situation is accepted. Let me close with a couple of remarks. It wasn't easy for Habakkuk to get to that point. It's not easy for you and I to to see the injustice happening around us. Maybe the injustice happening to us. It would never be an easy moment to be a part of that. And it was not an easy moment for Habakkuk to look out and to see the children of Israel being disciplined by a nation a people who love making idols, chapter 1 and 2 state. Love making idols and bowing down to those idols. Love throwing a hook into a nation and just pulling out a people and dragging them around. Torturing and killing them. As he searched for justice in unjust times and as you and I search for justice in the days that you and I live in, and it, there are unjust times. It's not easy. It's not easy to stand up in a group of people where you know that there is opposition to Christ and say, you know what? I'm a follower of his. Yep, you may think I'm an idiot. You may think that I'm dumb. You may think that I'm a terrorist. You may think that I'm closed-minded. Yep, I'm a follower of his. But he paid the price for you and for me. You and I are no longer our own. If he desires for you to stand up in front of that group, of your co-workers or in front of your family or in front of your neighbors, then guess what you and I are to do? We are to stand up in front of those people because we are His. We have no rights. We're His. Habakkuk reminds me a lot of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before a Babylonian king, mad at them, ready to throw them into a furnace that he heated up seven times hotter than it normally was. And they said, we will not bow. Our God's able to save us. And even if he doesn't, 
our last breath, our last thought's going to be that we're going to stand with him. Habakkuk says, even if the even if the olive crop doesn't come in, even if there aren't any animals in the fields, even if there's no blossom and fruit on the trees, even if destruction comes, where's the line? I'm standing in it, stating that I'm with God. I'm with Him. And that's what Hernando needs. I live on Tanner Cove, and that's what Tanner Cove needs. I live at 34 Tanner Cove, and that's what 34 Tanner Cove needs. And that's what's needed at your house, and that's what's needed on your street, and that's what's needed in our city, and that's what's needed in our nation. May we see from Habakkuk and examples like him of those willing to do just that, and might we as well.